Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Andrea Blythe, co-host of New Books and Poetry, a podcast of the New Books Network. Today, we're speaking with Sarah Tantlinger about our new book, The Devil's Dreamland, Poems Inspired by H.H. Holmes. Sarah resides outside Pittsburgh on a hill in the woods. Her dark poetry collections, Love for Slaughter and The Devil's Dreamland, Poetry Inspired by H.H. Holmes, are published by Strange House Books. She is a poetry editor editor for Oddville Press, a graduate of Seton Hill's MFA program, a member of the SFPA, and an active member of the Horror Writers Association. Sarah's poetry, flash, flash fiction, and short stories can be found in several magazines and anthologies, including HWA Poetry Showcase Volume 2 and 5, <laughs> The Horror Zine, Unnerving, Abyss and Apex, the 2018 Riesling Anthology, 100 Word Horrors, and the Sunlight Press. She embraces all things strange and can be found lurking in graveyards or on Twitter at SarahJane524 and at SarahTantlinger.com. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. So um, to kind of start at the beginning, um, I would love to know how you first started to engage with poetry, both as a reader and a writer. Sure. So I was always interested in darker, weirder things. I always started reading um, like the Goosebumps books in elementary and middle school. And then when we started reading Poe in middle school, I just totally fell in love and was absolutely obsessed with Poe. So as with many horror writers, Poe was kind of my gateway drug into poetry. And then that really helped me start writing my own kind of angsty high school kind of poetry too. And then from there, I studied English in undergrad. So I really latched on to all the poetry that I could. That's awesome. Um, so um, I'm, I would also love to know, um, as a poet and a writer, what is it that draws you to the horror genre? I like horror because it's just such an emotional genre. It's the only genre that's named after an emotion, too. We all experience horror and fear and terror. And it's a genre that really allows you to push boundaries, too. And I like that. Especially with horror poetry, you just have, it's such a niche genre, but at the same time, you have so much creative freedom for what you can do with it. Like both my collections are so different from each other. So I like that there's all this room to kind of play with it and just kind of expose the darker side of things through poetry. And especially because with poetry, you don't have any room for fluff words. Everything needs to be precise and really hit the reader so I think it's a really great challenge and I love reading horror poetry and other horror works I love writing it 
And the community itself has been absolutely amazing. I love everyone that I've met in the horror writing community too. Yeah, I'm, I'm really fond of the community too. And um, I, I'm hoping that I'll be able to continue to engage with it in, in the future in more intimately in the future as well. Yeah. Um, how do you think you've evolved as a writer over the years? Um, like who were some of your early influencers or teachers and who are some of your influencers and teachers now? Okay. I think my writing has thankfully gotten much better since like my high school angsty poetry days. Um, it was really interesting with my collections because love for slaughter is very, it's visceral and emotional and it's all about like bloody love poetry but then the Devil's Dreamland, I did more of a narrative structure with it. So I was trying to appeal to people who might not read poetry all the time because it kind of reads like a little book, um, but in poet form, poetic form. And some of my early influences besides Poe were definitely Sylvia Plath and William Blake. I love William Blake so much. Um, he was just did such interesting things with his work, created artwork with his poetry and kind of created his whole mythos with his poetry too so I really love studying him and some of my more contemporary influences definitely Linda Addison who is just absolutely not only an amazing writer but an incredibly kind human being and then I also love Sierra DeMolder all of her work is amazing and she's just very raw with everything she writes about in her life and there's another poet named Richard Sykin, who is incredible, too. He has a book called Crush that I recommend to anybody reading. So all these influences have definitely helped me become a better writer. Because I think the more you read, the better your writing absolutely becomes, too. Yes, totally agreed on that. Um, so... As part of your writing journey, you um, went through an MFA program, and um, I was wondering if you would discuss a little bit of your experience with that program, especially as somebody who's been interested in the horror genre, which sometimes by literary communities is <laughs> very highly. Yeah, I loved my grad program. So it was the Writing Popular Fiction Program at Seton Hill University in Greensburg, and it was genre focused. So that made a huge difference that it was that type of MFA where people came in, picked their genre, got mentors in their genre, as opposed to like the stereotypical elitist snobby kind of MFA. So I feel like I really lucked out with that grad program. <clears throat> um, we did so many good workshops and got so much rich, wonderful feedback on all of our work. And I've made lifelong friends in that program, people in my genre and other genres. I really can't say enough good things about the Writing Popular Fiction program. Mentors are absolutely amazing. And it just gave me the confidence and the motivation to keep moving forward with my work. Um, I don't know if I ever would have finished writing my thesis novel. If it hadn't been for that program, I probably would have never written a novel in my life. So I'm very, very grateful for the Writing Popular Fiction program, for everyone I worked with, and my mentor was Mike Arnzen, so I really lucked out with that too, because he's absolutely incredible to work with. 
Yeah, I could go on and on and say all the good things about that program, but I absolutely 100% mean everything. Well, since you also write fiction, um, can you maybe talk a, di- a little bit about the differences between writing fiction and poetry and how you approach each one differently? Yeah. So po- fiction's definitely a different beast for me. I struggled with it a lot more throughout the graduate program and I got better, but I feel like I'm really hitting my stride with it more now. Like I've only recently started selling short stories. I'm working on a novella right now too, doing some edits. And the thesis novel I wrote for grad school is with somebody right now, but I can't say too much else about that. But um, my process was totally different. Like With poetry, I can just sit there and think of it more organically. But with um, fiction, if I don't outline it, I just totally fail at it completely, which I learned the hard way too because I was such a pantser and just wrote everything as I was doing it. But learning how to strategically outline my fiction has made it such a better process. So I learned it the hard way, but I'm definitely glad that I have gotten more into outlining now. Um, and otherwise I think poetry just really helps with prose because it teaches you how to be really precise with your work. It teaches you how to really evoke the senses and use sensory descriptions well in your work. And I think it just helps make prose kind of more interesting, more poetic, but not too like purpley prose. And yeah, just using both has really made me such a better writer than I was a few years ago. So I'm excited to see how they kind of keep interacting and keep helping me improve myself. That's awesome. So um, let's your first book. Let's talk a little bit about um, like how you got through your football, <laughs> how you got through your first book and then um how that helped lead you into your second book and the difference experience of each one. Okay. So Love for Slaughter, my first poetry collection, I wrote while I was doing my fiction thesis novel in grad school. So it was kind of like a nice break for me if I didn't feel like working on my thesis novel to work on my poetry instead. So Love for Slaughter developed over that time period a few years ago And it was just a really emotional, visceral book. And I was really interested in the idea of like crimes of passion and the idea of how madness can be shared between two people and just all the ways that you can take the beautiful concept of love and make it dark and twisted and terrible. So that was kind of what I did for the first book. And then... For The Devil's Dreamland, I just wanted to do something really different because I never want to be like a one-trick pony kind of writer. So at The Devil's Dreamland, I had been interested in doing something with inspired by H.H. Holmes for a while. And I'm like, okay, I can't find any other poetry books about H.H. Holmes, so I'm going to try and do this. And I just researched everything about his life that I could find and broke it down and tried to make it into poetic form. And yeah, it was just a really cool experience. And it was really different than the first one. So I think that made it a lot more exciting for me 
to be doing something so different. If it would have been the same as the first book, I think I probably would have gotten a little bored with it myself. And that's definitely not what I wanted to do. Well, let's talk a little bit about H.H. Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) To put it lightly, he was not exactly a nice man. And um, for those who may not know who he was, could you maybe provide a little bit about him as a historical figure and uh, why you chose and were interested in writing about him? Yeah. So H.H. Holmes kind of gets the credit as being America's first serial killer. It's probably not historically accurate. I think he was just the first big one to get caught. Um, But he built what's known as the murder castle in Chicago. So that's kind of his claim to fame. Um, Oh my gosh, I don't even know there's so much stuff, but he was actually started out more as a con man. Like he just really wanted money. He wanted to be successful that way. So the murders kind of became ways to get money for him. It was never really about the pleasure of murdering necessarily. It was all just part of bigger con schemes. And I think that's why I was kind of interested in him he wasn't killing people just to kill people it was all means to a different kind of end but um the devil in the white city by eric larson is a book that kind of helped bring popularity back to h.h holmes um even though that book kind of concentrates more on the history of chicago world's fair more than holmes but that was where Holmes' stomping ground kind of was um and thought that he probably killed a lot of people during the Chicago World's Fair in the late 1800s. And I guess another thing that makes Holmes interesting is it's really hard to know what the truth is about him. So much of it is speculative. So much of it is stuff that just became tall tales. Even doing the research on him, everything I found was almost contradictory. So in a way, it let me kind of play with the details a bit. But Um, It was just really hard to know what he actually did, how many people he actually killed. Even his own memoir that he wrote and his own confession are pretty much laced with lies. So he's pretty much the ultimate unreliable narrator. Yeah, wow. Um, So, you know, it's interesting because serial killers are kind of entered popular culture and there's kind of a fascination with serial killers there's even whole museums dedicated to collecting ephemera from right murders and that kind of thing and and i'm curious from your point of view why do you think like people in general are interested in these characters like jack the ripper having is his own mythology as you also mentioned in the book and mm-hmm. <clears throat> that sort of thing yeah it is it is interesting and i guess for me doing stuff with H.H. Holmes, since it was in the 1800s, I don't feel like I'm infringing on anyone's current pain or tragedy because it was so long ago. But like the stuff with Ted Bundy becoming popular, quotes again, does kind of bother me a bit because it wasn't that long ago. So it is a little weird. I guess we're all a little sick because we are interested in these things. But I guess with Holmes, for me at least, it was – just this kind of way to 
see this ultimate darkness in humanity without having to do it myself or having to necessarily witness it myself is just kind of a morbid curiosity. And I wanted to do something interesting with it and kind of get into his psyche a little bit. And then again, since it happened so long ago, I guess we don't feel as connected with it. It doesn't feel like it's as sensitive a topic. But I have noticed that trend lately, too, with just a lot of current popular Netflix shows about serial killers and just all this kind of stuff. So I think it's just a way for people to see that darkness vicariously without having to engage with it. It's kind of like getting away with something when you watch these dark, twisted shows. There's that little kind of thrill that goes through us, but we're not actually doing anything bad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I get you. Um, I was also curious because you mentioned doing research for this and um, I was wondering how you approached that research and like how deep the rabbit hole went when you dug into it. Yeah, I love research. I could <laughs> probably get super lost in that rabbit hole and never emerge. With Holmes, there are, besides The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, there were a lot of other books that people have written to kind of try to piece his whole history together. Um, Oh gosh, I read so many books, listened to podcasts about Holmes, watched the documentary on Netflix, some other shows too. And I just made like a massive pile of notes and tried to highlight all the different contradictions I found in everybody's different research. And then I found in the public domain is where you can read Holmes's own. He wrote a prison memoir and he wrote a confession. So I read those over and over again too, just to try and see what he might have been lying about, what kind of contradicted itself there. And it was really hard because the memoir he wrote in prison was pretty much aimed just to try and gain public sympathy. So it was completely full of lies. And then after he was going to be sentenced to hang, no matter what, is when he wrote his confession. But in his confession, he admitted to killing people who were still alive. So it was really hard to know why he did that, what he was talking about. Um, There's really only actually like nine confirmed victims of Holmes, but he gets this reputation of killing like 200 people in his murder hotel, which I don't think is historically accurate. But as far as writing fodder goes, it's very interesting to play off that for writing activities. But um, the research was really interesting to do. Like I said, I love doing research. But when you're doing it on this historical figure that we really don't know much about, it's really hard and difficult. But And I also read um, Robert Block wrote the American Gothic book, and he took an H.H. Holmes figure and fictionalized it. I forget what he called him, like G. Gordon Gregg or something. Um, But Block's American Gothic was a kind of fun book to read. 
because he did his own fictionalized version of Holmes in the murder castle and hotel. So the inspiration's been around for a while, but again, no one will ever kind of really know what he actually did. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, So you have all this research in hand with all these contradicting um, facts. And so how do you take that and start pulling from that to begin writing the poetry? How much do you worry about like fictionalizing versus sticking with the truth sort of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, since I was... I never advertised the poetry book as true crime completely. So I wanted people to know that this is my fictionalized version of Holmes, but I did pull as much as I could from... Do you still hear me? My computer kind of froze. Yeah, I can still hear (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I just pulled as much as I could from what I thought was the truth, but in my little kind of beginning part of the book, I do say this is my fictionalized version. Um, But there were a lot of just interesting descriptions in the other books that I found. So sometimes I would just take like little bits of that and give it my own twist or see things that would make a really cool title and try to play off of that. Um, And then since I found historical accounts from some of the people that knew his victims, like during his trials and stuff, I used that information to kind of give voices to his victims since he killed so many women. I kind of wanted to give them a voice in the book. So I did that for a couple poems too, to try to kind of know know that they were real people um, and just give them perspective on it too. Um, yeah, so there's really just so much to draw from, but it was an interesting experience for sure. Oh, I can imagine. Um, did When you first started writing, did you have plans to make it a full, complete kind of narrative collection? Um, and how, once you started figuring out it was going to be a narrative collection, like how did you make sure the book as a whole had a, a feeling of completion and shape and arc? That's a good question. I think I did want it to be a little bit more of a narrative structure because just from the way I was researching and taking notes, I could see that I had laid out his beginning, his middle parts, and the ending a little bit. So it just fell into place really naturally, which was good. I didn't have to force the structure. And I think that helped a lot to make it read in that narrative arc way. And from there, I just kind of pulled the most parts the most interesting parts that I thought were interesting and put that into the beginning the middle and the end of it um especially since he kind of starts out in this way that wasn't super sinister but I definitely made it a little more sinister and then compared to the middle part where he starts building the murder castle in Chicago and starts kind of getting into his stride a little bit and then there's the part in the middle too, where he starts getting pursued by all these people he owes money to by officers who kind of realize that these girls keep going missing around him. And then the end part reflects 
um, when he's in prison, when he's kind of losing his mind a little bit. So I wanted that to kind of frame everything. But I just thought the arc structure would be interesting maybe to people who like true crime but don't always read poetry. So it was my hope that this could kind of reach out to multiple audiences that way. I think you do very good well with the structure. I, I really enjoyed the way it read as a whole from beginning to end. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> I was also wondering, um, would you like to read one of the poems from the collection to kind of give our readers a taste of uh, your style? Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read Holmes versus the Ripper, part one. So this is a poem to kind of reflect how Holmes and Jack the Ripper existed in the same time period and how Holmes was most likely reading about Jack the Ripper while Holmes was in America and the Ripper was in England. Okay, so this is Holmes versus the Ripper, part one. November 1888. Cold, metallic tang of blood billows up in the atmosphere, hovering, haunting, crimson pollution in Victorian streets. Slightly after the witching hour, a woman cries murder. Violence is nothing new here. Neighbors turn away, shut their ears, slicing off sound as he slices off a woman's breast. Around 10.45 a.m., a landlord goes to collect rent, Mary Kelly's is overdue. She doesn't open the door. Blood smears the broken window. Mary Kelly is nothing more than a gumbo-stewed organ soup, scarlet flesh pile skinned down, inhumanly carved up on the bed, massacre of mutilation. There will come a debate after this. Was she truly the Ripper's last? Are the following Whitechapel murders his or someone else's? At this stillborn, chilled moment, Jack remains the most brutal servant of the devil. At this stillborn, chilled moment, H.H. Holmes hears backward whispers slithering into his small ears. You can do better. You can do better. I I uh I love that so much. It it's got all those wonderful chilling details <laughs> and um <clears throat> that actually reminds me of another question that I was going to ask regarding like uh the process of writing horror poetry specifically because horror the implication is that its purpose is to scare or unsettle the reader and um <clears throat> how do you approach the process how much do you approach the process from that point of view of working towards unsettling the reader? It's a good question. Um, I think for me, I just figure out the story that I want to tell first. And a lot of the time, those details kind of naturally put themselves in place. But sometimes I'll go back and see my biggest fear always is that my writing will be boring. So I always go back and try to see everything from the perspective of, okay, is this interesting? What can I do to make it creepier or eerier? How much do I want to reveal here? And mostly the biggest 
way, I think, to do that is to evoke as many senses as you can. Um, when we go beyond imagery and invoke all those other senses, that's what creates such a clear picture and something that people can really imagine and put themselves into that position. So I think that's really important with horror and something I always try to do with my work. Because if I'm just describing imagery, people can picture that. But if I describe the smell and the taste and the sound and the texture of something, it brings it to life so much more. And I think that's really a key ingredient for all writing and all genres. But it's definitely the biggest thing I always look for when I go back and edit and revise my own work. Because if I want to unsettle my readers, then I know I need to make everything come alive as much as possible. Yeah, experience the full senses experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now that your book is out in the world and it is being picked up by people and being read, like what is it that you would like readers to get out of the experience of reading this book? I guess I would just like readers to be open-minded about it. And so far the feedback's been great, which has been absolutely amazing and wonderful and just mostly to know that poetry can be very different especially horror poetry it doesn't always have to rhyme it doesn't always have to do one thing that it can do multiple things and I guess just to try to have fun with it too if you're into this kind of thing um especially because I write such weird dark stuff but I think just kind of taking a step back and looking at everything that H.H. Holmes did and how horrifying it was could be a really interesting experience in this way, too. Um, And also, I think it's just cool to support anything poetic, anything that poets are doing. Um, We always really, really appreciate that. So if you're into true crime, but you don't read a lot of poetry, you might like this book. Or if you read poetry, but you haven't tried horror poetry yet, then that might be something to start with. That's awesome. So um, what sort of projects are you working on now? Like, what are you hoping to kind of put out in the future? So right now I'm working on editing an anthology for Strange House Books that's going to be all women in horror. It's called Not All Monsters. Should be out next year, probably in the fall. Um, We just finished doing all of our table of contents, so I'm very excited to start editing the stories and working with all the amazing women that are going to be in this project. And in the summer, I'm going to be editing um, an issue of Eye to the Telescope for the SFPA, and my theme is going to be infection. So if you have any infection kind of themed poems or ideas definitely look for that in a few months and then otherwise I'm mostly just editing the novella that I just finished so I definitely want to get that revised and get it sent out and see what happens from there otherwise I'm mostly just working on um, some short stories too I'm really trying to write more prose this year so that's my biggest goal right now Awesome. Looking forward to that uh, collection of women-focused horror. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So to kind of close out, I would love to know what is some 
uh, uh, writing or media that you've been consuming lately that has been inspiring to you or interesting to you or grabbing your attention? Oh, that's a good question. I finally got around to watching you on Netflix because I love that book so much. And I was so happy to see that the show is just as creepy and disturbing and awesome. Um, I love Carolyn Kevness who wrote the book, You. That was probably the last thing I kind of just totally consumed. And then otherwise, I was watching another show on Netflix called One Strange Rock. And it's all about the earth and the world and just all these kind of weird, creepy, strange, beautiful things about our earth and our and the space and everything that you don't really see that much. So it's been inspiring a lot of like science fiction kind of themed poetry for me. So I might work on that a little bit too, but it's a great show. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And this is New Books and Poetry, a podcast of the New Books Network. And thank you everybody for listening. And I'll see you, well, hear y'all next time. <laughs>